Awesome. If you're wondering who that strange guy was who was doing communion, it's actually Jesse. He's just, I got a new beard going. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. After my uh, brother's funeral, leadership team gave me a few weeks uh, for just uh, spend time with family and stuff. But I was growing a beard and everybody started saying, you know, I think I like it. And Marie was like, I think I like it too. So now I'm stuck with it for a while. But uh, anyways, uh, thank you, everyone. It's good to see everyone again. Yeah, it's good to see you. Yep. And uh, thank you for those who filled in, uh, Marg and uh, Ken last week. And uh, I'm gone one more week next week, and Gary is going to be here next week as well. And I guess uh, Gary did fill in one week as well. So thank you very much. I really appreciate, appreciate that. Um, yeah, I guess it's been a little while, but we're going to continue today on our series. We have been doing on what is typically known as the Ethiopian eunuch. Um, but if you remember... The word Ethiopian actually just means African. It was an African eunuch. And this will be the sixth message in this series that we've been going through in Acts chapter 8. And uh, I know a lot of that was just live stream, so if you want to go back, you can. Uh, and we finally get to the highlight of this whole text, of the whole story of Philip and this African eunuch. And uh, the story is basically, is uh, there's a guy named Philip who was a church leader. He was stationed in uh, Jerusalem, uh, just because that's where the, the church was born, and persecution swept in, and he had to flee, and he flees up to this place known as Samaria, a place that Jews didn't go, but he went, uh, because he knew Jesus went there. And this revival starts, like a serious revival. People are learning about Jesus, and there's crowds, and there's like true signs and wonders and miracles and things exploding in good ways, like a very big revival. And then God does a very strange thing. He eventually calls Philip, and he's the guy who started the revival, out of Samaria to the middle of nowhere. And he didn't call him out of the revival to go write a book on how to lead revivals. He didn't call him out of, out of the revival to, you know, do a worldwide speaking tour on how, what happened at the revival. He called him out of this revival to go meet with one person. One single person in the middle of nowhere, which is a powerful reminder of how much God loves you as an individual. Uh, he's willing to call someone out of a major revival to connect with you or to connect with me, that he, he really does love you, that God's not always interested. He, he loves the crowds, but he also loves you and he loves me. And so... He, uh, Philip meets up with this Ethiopian eunuch, which is Afri actually just an African eunuch. He would have been from, from uh, southern uh, Egypt or northern Sudan. And um, he, he meets up with him, and he's having trouble with the scriptures. And he, and he says, you know, help me understand the scriptures. And we did a whole message on the reality that, that we say the same thing. <laughs> it's like, God, help me with the scriptures. Scholars, help me with the scriptures, because they can be very complicated. I mean, we know that just by the number of denominations and the numbers of different opinions of all the different scholars and people who spend their lives studying one subject and another person spends their life studying the same subject and they have different opinions. And it's like, God, help me understand the scripture. And, and just as the, the, the eunuch was calling that out, and we talked about Jesus, how Jesus takes the complication of the Bible and he makes it a whole lot more simple. And, uh, and so uh, this eunuch was coming home from Jerusalem. He had gone to worship. And uh, as we're going to remind ourselves again, he would have come home probably a little bit sad. And so uh, Philip ends up telling him the good news about Jesus. And 
That was the last message. We talked about what is the good news? What, what is the gospel? Because often what we think the gospel is in, our, in today's culture is actually would be actually a little bit foreign to Jesus and the apostles. I mean, sometimes we kind of narrow it down to just accept Jesus in your heart and you can go to heaven. That's not the fullness of the gospel at all. We talked about how the gospel is about the kingdom and the kingdom here and now, that, that Jesus used the word kingdom all the time and that we can be a part of what God is doing right here and right now. Yes, there is a future and yes, we receive Jesus, but, but it has a lot to do with the kingdom. And, and there are brilliant scholars like N.T. Wright and Scott McKnight who, who have been talking a lot about this and have written books on, on what the good news and the kingdom is. And so then we get to the highlight, the, the very purpose of this whole text. And that's what we get to talk about today. It says, as they rode along, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? He ordered the carriage to stop. And they went down into the water and Philip baptizes him. Now we read this and we go, that's, that's awesome. That's so, that's so cool that he baptized him and another person baptized. And this, this is awesome. But what Philip did here was so crazy, was so radical, would have been looked at as absolutely heretical. People would have looked at Philip and said, you are denying the Bible, you are denying scripture. Why in the world did you do that? Now we miss that when we kind of read it from our perspective. And we've talked a little bit about this already. And the reason why this was so crazy and so radical is because the scriptures that Philip had, which was the Old Testament, you know, when Paul says all scripture is God-breathed and useful for, for teaching, correcting, and rebuking. I mean, they didn't have the New Testament when that was written. They were talking about the Old Testament. Philip's Bible said very clearly that no eunuch is to enter the congregation of God. Or as other translation put it, that no eunuch is admitted to the assembly of God. The eunuch was not allowed to convert to, to Judaism, to the faith. Uh, they weren't allowed to be baptized. They weren't allowed in the temple. And so Philip here is talking to this, this, you just picture the scene, talking to this eunuch. And this eunuch is like, you know, he opens his heart to Jesus and he receives the good news. And, and he's like, why can't I be baptized? And you can see Philip probably wrestling like, you know, my scriptures say he can't. My scriptures say he can't be part of the family of God. But Philip ends up making the choice to baptize this eunuch despite what his scriptures uh, said. And, and the reason why we're going to talk about it today, the reason is Jesus. Jesus was doing a whole new thing in the world. I mean, there were a lot of people in the Old Testament that were excluded, that were not allowed to be in the temple, who were not allowed to be part of the assembly of the Lord, who were not allowed to be, to be baptized. Uh, like Deuteronomy 23 says this, if a person is illegitimate by birth, Neither he nor his descendants for 10 generations may be admitted to the assembly of the Lord. I mean, imagine if, uh, you know, you were getting really excited about God and, and, you know, just like, you know, I just want God in my heart and, and you, you go and you're like, I want to be part of, I want to be part of the family of God. And someone says, well, sorry, your great, 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 great grandma uh, was, was born illegitimately, you know, through a rape or through you know, uh, you know, an affair or something like that. It's like, sorry, you can't be. But that, that's what the Old Testament scripture said. And for 10 generations, you were not allowed. In, and so they would say you were not allowed to be baptized. You were not allowed to the inner uh, part of the, the, the temple. 
It goes on, so no Anamite or Moabite or any of their descendants for 10 generations may be admitted to the assembly of the Lord. I mean, imagine if, you know, your great, 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 you know, you know, grandparents were, were Ammonites. And you have a heart for God and you just want to, you want to worship him and you want to go in the temple to experience everything. And so someone says, well, sorry, you know, 10 generations ago, your parents, uh, great, 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 great grandparents messed up somehow. Uh, eunuchs were a part of this. They were not allowed into the assembly of the Lord. They were not allowed to be, to be baptized. And so you can imagine this eunuch, he comes up from Africa to go to, it says he went to, to Jerusalem to worship. But he would not have been allowed in the temple. In fact, there was a wall in the temple. And, and archaeologically, we've actually found some of these signs that were a part of the, the outer area that said, no Gentile can enter into the temple. And it was punishable by death. Uh, that was the system of the day. And that was what was written in the scriptures that, that Philip had. And so, again, this, this is really radical if you think about it. Something so radical maybe we don't even want to think about because it's kind of scary. I mean, Philip is like, you know, my scriptures say this, but this, this eunuch, he went all the way to Jerusalem. He traveled for weeks to go worship God. And he's got a heart. I just told him the gospel. He wants to open his heart to Jesus. And, and, the, and the eunuch says, well, what's stopping me from being baptized? And, and he's wrestling, like, do I follow my scriptures or do I follow what I seem to be, seems to be going on in his heart? And he chooses to baptize him. And the reason is because of Jesus. Because when Jesus showed up, he just began to rearrange things. He began to do a whole new thing. He began to take some of these Old Testament scriptures and he began to say, you know, that's not, that's not anymore. That's not the way it is. That doesn't fully reflect the heart of God for, for, for this time period. I mean, uh, over and over and over again in Matthew 5, Jesus would say, you have heard it said, and he would quote an Old Testament scripture or a Jewish law, and then he'd say, but I say to you, so he's saying, you know, it says this in your, your, the, the, the scriptures, but I say to you that Jesus was seen himself and, and taught as if he had authority over the scriptures. And, uh, and, and there are so many examples of Jesus taking these folks who were pushed away, who were not included, and Jesus going up to these people and actually including them. I mean, like Leviticus. It says, if a chronic skin disease and a priest... If it is a chronic skin disease and the priest shall pronounce them unclean, he is to, uh, to isolate them because they are already unclean. So if you had a skin disease, like leprosy or something like that, uh, you had to wander around shouting, you are unclean. You were not allowed in the temple. You had to be kind of excluded. And there were scriptures for that. But Jesus comes along and what does he do? It, it says, Jesus reached out his hand and he touched the men. Oop, just broke the scriptures. You're not allowed to do that. Jesus did not have these berries. He, he touches this man, and then he actually heals this man. It's like Jesus is saying, there's a new thing going on here. I know this person couldn't be touched before, but now we're going to go and we're, we're going to touch him. Or in Leviticus uh, 21, it talks about, you know, if a priest's daughter defiles herself by becoming a prostitute, she disgraces her father, she must be burned in the fire. She's kind of a ugly little text, but, but Jesus, when he meets prostitutes, uh, he doesn't treat them harshly. Uh, we see Jesus befriend, befriended prostitutes, and he actually defended uh, prostitutes because they had a heart for God. And in Matthew 21, he says, truly I tell you that tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. 
radical, so radical, so crazy what Jesus did. And these people who were excluded, where people didn't want to go near, that people didn't want to touch, Jesus draws near and Jesus welcomes and Jesus accepts. And, and um, or like Deuteronomy 21, you know, suppose a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey his father or mother. And then it says, then all the men of his town must stone him to death. Uh, Jesus tells the story of a rebellious son, a son who was very rebellious and, and basically wished his father being dead because he asked for his inheritance even before he dies. And Jesus tells the story of this crazy rebellious son who returns home and, and he says that he returned home to his father. And while they were, he was a still a long way off, his father got his men together and told them to stone him to death. I just know what Jesus taught. Jesus said, his father saw him coming and filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him and kissed him. In fact, he restores his wealth back to his son, welcomes him into the family. He doesn't ask him, you know, you gotta, you know, gotta work this off, you gotta pay this off, you gotta do a whole bunch of things, you gotta do penance. He just welcomes him back into the fold. I mean, clearly Jesus was doing a new thing. Jesus was going in a different direction than some of the scripture in the Old Testament. And we talked a lot about that in the, the message on, on religion. Uh, like Jesus constantly broke the Sabbath laws. I mean, in the Old Testament, there was a guy who was stoned to death because he was picking up firewood. And yet Jesus comes along and he tells, he's telling people to pick up your mat on the Sabbath and walk. Jesus was doing a whole new thing. So you can see Philip. He's trying to make the choice, do I baptize this person or do I not? What do I do? And you could just see his mind filled with the acts and the, the model of Jesus and how Jesus welcomed people and, and, and Phillips ends up making a choice. Or we can see in John chapter 4, uh, it says, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. It was, they, they didn't. They were unclean. You would, they would never buy pottery from them. They wouldn't hang out with them. They wouldn't, wouldn't touch the Samaritans. And yet Jesus comes along and it says the, he, the disciples are shocked because they find him talking to a Samaritan, and not only a Samaritan, but a Samaritan woman. They were shocked because that was against their, their Jewish laws, and it was against their understanding of, of their scriptures. And, and yet Jesus did, all, again, radical things with, with women. And Luke 10, talk about Mary who, who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he taught. No rabbi would do that in Jesus' day. Because that means that she was a disciple. She was in the position of the disciple. And, and you wouldn't have, have women disciples, yet Jesus had women followers. And again, all these things where there were barriers and walls and exclusions, Jesus seemed to break them all down and to welcome and include. In, in 1 Kings, again, we see this thing that Jesus is doing a new thing. Like in, in 2 Kings, where Elijah says, you know, may fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. And then it says fire actually fell from heaven and consumed the, the captain and his, and his men. And then the disciples one day are in Samaria and there's some, you know, people they don't like. And they're like, you know, you know, my scriptures say that I can call fire down from heaven. And it says the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem when his disciples, James and John, that's why they were called the sons of thunder because they, they were just like, you know. Uh, when they saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? Because they're like, you know, that's what, you know, the scriptures they had, that's what it talked about. And yet Jesus turned and he rebukes them. There's a whole new thing going on. Jesus is going in a whole different direction. And you could imagine again, Philip having all these things in his mind as he's, he's wondering what to do in 
this situation. So again, it says no eunuch is to enter the congregation of God or, uh, and, or the assembly of God. And they saw that he was not welcome into the family of God. He couldn't be baptized. And yet, what does Philip do? He baptizes him. Again, this is why this is called a gem-filled story because there's all these little things that we miss when we read it kind of superficially. This would have been a major decision and it's not the only one. In fact, in a couple of weeks, we're going to go through Acts chapter 10 because it's a very similar story of God doing a different thing, of, of God calling Peter to actually go meet with a Gentile and go into his house and receive him into the family of God when it was against their religious rules to, to hang out with Gentiles, to go into their house. It was, it was unclean and God is saying, you know, there's these foods that are unclean in the Old Testament and lots of verses that say it, but now God says, oh, you can eat those things even though those scriptures said you couldn't. Now you can. And, and, and in, in, in the end, uh, Peter says to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. And this is the new way of Jesus where there are all these barriers and walls and, and rules against certain kinds of people. And, and yet Peter understood that, that we're not to look at people and say they're impure. We're not to look at people and say that they are unclean. That, that like Jesus, we welcome them. We hold them. We touch the lepers and we, we hang out with Samaritans and we hang out with, with, with all kinds of, of folks. And this is exactly what the... As, 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 Scholars talk who study Ephesians say that this verse is actually the, the, the central theme of the book of Ephesians. The highlight of the book of Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 2. Where it says, Jesus himself is our peace. And he has made the two groups one. Talking about this division between Jewish people and Gentile folks. And has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Which is a, a direct phrase to that wall in the temple. That kept certain people out. That wall is gone. The curtain is torn in two. This barrier that says you're the wrong race. You have the you're long, wrong heritage. You have the wrong background. You, you, you know, you're, you're a eunuch or whatever it might be. That sorry, you're excluded because of these things. That that wall is now taken down. By setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. That these laws that exclude have been set aside in Jesus. And his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. This new way, this new move of, of Jesus. And Philip saw it, Peter saw it, and the, and the church moves ahead of this. And, uh, and, uh, and I think just one of the questions they would ask, again, because they only had the Old Testament, they didn't have the New Testament yet, was it like, you know, does this line up with the heart and example of Jesus? You know, when Philip was making this choice, he had to make a choice, and, and he recognized that Jesus was doing a new thing. He recognized that, 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 that to say no to this Ethiopian eunuch did not line up with what Jesus was doing. And so he goes with Jesus and, uh, and he is baptized. And you can just imagine, after this eunuch had been in Jerusalem, being rejected, not allowed in the temple, and he comes and he meets Philip. And I think this is why God sent Philip from a revival to meet this guy who had been hurt maybe by the folks at the temple to meet him and to tell him that God loves him and that God wel welcomes him and you are welcome into the family of God. And, and uh, just an exciting end to, to that story. Uh, but the church hasn't stopped there. 
Uh, even after the, the close of the New Testament, the church still continues to wrestle sometimes with, with certain passages of Scripture and, and what Jesus modeled and what Jesus did. Uh, for instance, slavery was probably a big one when the abolition movement began to take steam. And, and there were always Christians throughout church history that were against slavery. But for the most part, the church was in favor of it. Uh, the church supported it because uh, there are just lots of passages in the New Testament that seem to support the idea of, of slavery. Um, and, and there were people who defended it, said, no, it's okay, slavery is fine because the Bible says, it gives examples, it talks about slavery, slavery is a God-ordained thing. And then other Christians were saying, no, no, that just doesn't line up with, with the move of Jesus and the love of Jesus and, and this acceptance and, and Jesus tore down these walls and, and, and what are we doing? Of course, if you study the abolition movement in the 1800s, we know that this was a huge debate. But what some people don't know is that this was a huge theological debate. For Christians, it was actually a debate over theology. Uh, for instance, one, one pastor back in the day said, you know, the evidence that there were both slaves and masters of slaves in the churches founded and directed by the apostles cannot be got rid of without resorting to methods of interpretation which will get rid of everything. In other words, if you start saying, you know, we should get rid of slavery, you're, you're denying scripture because scripture supports it and, and you're watering down God's word. Or uh, Henry Van Dyke who said, the tree of abolitionism is evil and only evil. It springs from and is nourished by an utter rejection of the scripture. I mean, the church, uh, part of the church was defending slavery based on scripture and other parts of the church were trying to get rid of scripture based on the model of Jesus and, and other passages. It was a huge theological debate. And why it was hard for those who wanted to get rid of slavery was because there was no like specific verse in the Bible that says slavery is bad. <laughs> uh, they had to do more theological work, more nuanced work. As, as one church historian, Dr. Mark Nall, he said this, Nuanced biblical attacks on American slavery faced rough going precisely because they were nuanced. This position could not simply be read out of any one biblical text. It could not be lifted directly from the page. But the other folks who supported slavery, they could. Uh, they had lots of verses to, to pull from. Rather, it needed patient reflection on the entirety of the scriptures. It required expert knowledge of the historical circumstances of ancient Near Eastern and Roman slave systems. And it demanded that sophisticated interpretive practice replace a commonsensical literal approach to the sacred text. And, and so again, the, the church uh, was wrestling with these things. Like, I mean, what do we do with slavery? Do we, do we kind of follow the way of Jesus? Or do, do we follow what some of these scriptures say? And, and so again, just like Philip and just like Peter, and, and they had to wrestle through some of these things. And thankfully... You know, the movement now is that, you know, there's you know, very few folks that support slavery now. It still happens. There's still a lot of folks in slavery in this world. But at least when it comes to the church, I mean, we as a church, for the most part, would hopefully reject it and say this is not according to Jesus, that we want to follow Jesus in his welcomingness and in his acceptingness. And the church has also done this, at least partly, at least some of the church today has done this with women. Because again, there are Verses in the Bible that tell us that women shouldn't lead or be pastors. Uh, there are a lot of churches today uh, who would not, don't allow women pastors or don't allow women uh, elders or leaders uh, because there are verses like this. Women should be silent during the church meetings. 
It is not proper for them to speak or, you know, I do not permit a woman to teach or assume authority over a man. And so some folks will say, you know, the Bible is clear that women can't teach or women can't lead or you can't have women leaders in the church. And, and there are some churches that follow that today. Um, and others, like our church and our denomination, say, well, wait a second. That doesn't lie. There are other scriptures that talk about women leaders, and there doesn't seem to line up with Jesus, who took the status of women from like minus 50 to plus 50. He didn't take it all the way because of their culture, but it just doesn't seem to line up with the heart of Jesus. And so there are other denominations like ours who welcome women as pastors and welcome women as leaders. And, and, and we know that sometimes women can be amazing preachers. I know some women who are far better preachers than me. I mean, and we got like people like Marg and Tamara and, and, and you know, remember Abby who was speaking. I mean, uh, there were pastor, women pastors I would serve on. I would serve under gladly go to their church because they're super gifted. And so there's some folks in the church who say, you know, it's not about gender. It, it's, it's about whether they're gifted or not. And, and so it's the same wrestling that Philip had to wrestle through, that Peter had to wrestle through. And it's like, there are some scriptures that seem to exclude, but, but does that line up with, with the heart and the model of Jesus? And and to wrestle through that, again, not always easy to do. And just the last one, I mean, the church has also wrestled with this one in modern history, just trying to take what happened to Philip and move it into modern history. Um, acceptance of divorced and remarried people. I mean, there is a scripture in, in 7 that says, a wife must not leave her husband, but if she does leave him, let her remain single or else be reconciled to him, and the husband must not leave his wife. And and, and for a long time, the church was very strong on this. There's still some churches that are today that if, if you're divorced or remarried, that you, uh, you maybe can't become a member of that church. You, a lot of churches would say maybe you couldn't definitely be a pastor or a leader because you broke the scripture. And others folks say, well, that doesn't seem to, you know, kind of line up with the, the forgiveness of God and the fact that he forgives our sin and remembers it no more. And he's the, the God of second chances and, and the reality is that he, on the cross, Jesus said, it is finished. And sometimes... We, 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 life is complicated and sometimes marriages just don't work out and it doesn't deal with the complexity of work and the forgiveness and, and the love. And, and so churches have wrestled through this. Um, and, and so sometimes we struggle with these things and to line up with Jesus and how does this work with the rest of scripture and those kind of things. And that's why, like the Ethiopian eunuch, we cry out, God, help me understand because it can be complicated at times. But in the end, we know what Jesus wants from us in Romans 15. As Paul wrote, accept each other just as Christ accepted you so that God will be given glory. And I think Philip was thinking about this. Do I accept this person into the family of God or not? And he just thinks about Jesus hanging out with the tax collectors and the sinners and telling stories and meeting with the broken and accepting and touching the lepers and, and caring for the broken and going into Samaria and, and reaching out to the, the Gentile world, the things that were so foreign. And, and, and Philip was just thinking, you know, Jesus accepted people and I'm going to accept each other just as Jesus accepted me. And this gives God glory. When you take down those barriers and take down those walls and you reach out and you touch people and hug people and you tell them about Jesus and you welcome them into the family without barriers, or as Acts chapter 10 says, and this will be, we'll talk more about this in two weeks, because it's a similar story. As Peter said, God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. Jesus lived differently. He modeled it differently. He, he shook things up. And Philip and Peter walked into this thing and, and they began to shake things up too and the church continues to wrestle with this. So Father, we thank you that you've torn down the barriers. 
God, I thank you that you welcome us into your family. Thank you there's no more wall in the temple. There's not some wall out of this church, front of this church that says if you fit this category, you're not welcome. God, we know you welcome and you include. God, we thank you that you were good and we thank you that you wash away our sin. God, I thank you for forgiveness and for life. God, I thank you that you meet with us, that you are around us, that you are in us, that you don't leave us nor forsake us. And God, we thank you for the assembly of the Lord, for the family of God. God, we thank you for how Jesus changed things for the better, where now there are no more barriers, no more walls. And God, we celebrate you. We, 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 we lie down, God, at your feet in just awe of your love and your goodness and your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.